Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, my guest is 22-year Intuit veteran, Jorge Olivieta. Carbon has had lots to do with Intuit over the last few years, but Jorge and I have never had the opportunity to really sit down and talk in depth about accounting and software. Today, we get to discuss Jorge's education and the career path that led him to become the VP of Product Management and Design at Intuit. I love getting to know him better and wax lyrical about crypto, technology trends, and his longevity there at Intuit. I, for one, found it really interesting, and I hope you do as well. Let's get into it. From Plano, Texas, welcome, Jorge Olivieta. Ah, Jorge. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast. It's uh, wonderful to have such influence and longevity with us today. <laughs> yeah, definitely on the longevity. Thanks for uh, having me, Stuart. <laughs> well, let's start with that. You were at uh, LeCert when they got purchased by Intuit. Is that true? That is correct. Technically, I guess LeCert or this industry that I somewhat landed in was my first real job coming out of college. So, yeah, yeah, it it stuck to me. I really loved it. Loved the people, loved the accountants, loved the work, loved the company I work for, and it's been 26 years. (laughs) So let's start with college then. So I only learned today what A&M stands for, but I guess I can be forgiven. And I'm sure that our international (laughs) listeners who reside in countries similar to those that I were born in... (laughs) would uh, be not that familiar with Texas A&M. So you tell me, tell us about it and tell us about the history of Texas A&M. <laughs> wow, you want the history of the university, huh? Well, I think it started in 1878, exactly, but I don't, I don't think yeah. you want me to go that far back. <laughs> that predates both of us. <laughs> Just a little bit. Texas A&M was, it's a phenomenal engineering school in the state of Texas. It just so happened that I had four sisters and a brother, all who were, yeah, they were all attending there when I went there. As a matter of fact, I think when I showed up my freshman year, one of my sisters graduated. So there was never more than five of us there at the same time. But (laughs) I hate to say it because it almost, it hurts my family when I say that I had visions of going to Rice University. Oh, wow. That would have been controversial. Well, no. The more controversial one was the fact that I also applied and got accepted to the University of Texas. And the University of Texas and Texas A&M, there are bitter, bitter rivals. It just so happened that I was uh, I granted a full ride to Texas A&M. Oh, and congratulations. That, there you go. That tipped you over the edge or tipped <laughs> your folks over the edge anyway. <laughs> well, you got four sisters and a brother there. You're not going to go back to dad saying, hey, I want to go somewhere else. <laughs> Another, well, it might have been a bit cheaper back then, but you know now it's 100 grand each, 200 grand each, whatever it is for college fees, right? So, yeah, I can imagine he wouldn't have been that pleased. <laughs> no, it wasn't yeah. something I was going to do. I was going to do. I, I kind of understood the situation back then. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And so was there any incidents that preceded your reputation that your sisters or brothers had uh, <laughs> had got themselves in a bit of trouble or anything? Oh, not at all. I was the troublemaker, Stuart. Oh, there so, you go. You know, I they, believe that. <laughs> they kept me in check when I went there. It was actually really nice. It was a very... Uh, as you can imagine, a fairly soft onboarding to university when you have your siblings there with you. So that made it much easier for me, much easier than it is for a lot of people in their first year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure. And so what sports did you play there then? 
Oh, well, I only played intramural, and now you're getting as to why I wanted to go to Rice. <laughs> Rice is a phenomenal engineering school, but I also back then had visions of potentially walking onto the football team because it's a smaller school and it was possible, and I had friends that had actually done it. Yeah. But regardless, Texas A&M, when I went there, it just became more the intramural sports, right? So I played a lot of soccer, you know, growing up yeah, in yeah, Chile, yeah. that was kind of my thing. Yeah, yeah. Played, oh, I played every sport intramurally. I even had a year of going with the rugby team, which. Oh, wow, there you go. Well, those guys are crazy. That'll <laughs> sort you out, yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> not much pads and helmets and all that rubbish that they, they you don't need any of that to play rugby. <laughs> no, but it, I'll tell you what, I learned a lot playing that sport. It's a oh, phenomenal yeah. sport. America didn't do too badly in the rugby World Cup not that long ago. They field a pretty good team. <laughs> uh, you know, Stuart, beyond my occasional channel flip to the Premiership Rugby League, I don't really follow much rugby, but I do enjoy watching a little here and there. There you go. So what became of your, uh, in Australia we say NFL, but what became of your football career? Oh, my football career. <laughs> pretty much ended right on the spot, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Unless you want to consider flag football post-college for a few years. <laughs> a few girls in the mixed local flag yeah. team. <laughs> it's a lot like American football. The biggest difference is there's beer on the sidelines, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. That's right. And sometimes not just on the sidelines, I'm sure. <laughs> And so played a bit of sport during college. And then what, how did you finish up at college? What degrees? And then how did you land that first sort of product management role? Yeah, that's, oh, wow. Now that's a long story, Stuart. I don't know if we have long enough, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. That got me through college as well. So I went through engineering for about three years. And at about the second year, I really realized that engineering wasn't what I wanted to do. I had been told that I was going to be an engineer my entire life, right? You take all, oh, okay. you, well, you yes. take all, you take all <laughs> these tests, right? You love mathematics, you love physics. Yeah. Your dad's yeah. an engineer. Yeah. I was meant to be an engineer, and it wasn't until my second year in college that I decided that I wanted to pursue the business path. And mm-hmm. at that time, I went into accounting, oddly enough, which lasted for. Hmm, a year. A uh, it lasted hours. about a year. And then I found out back then, because I was very decisive and had my plan very well laid out, apparently, yeah. I decided that accounting wasn't it for me either. And by then, I had lost my ride, which was a full scholarship for engineering. And I transferred colleges yes, yeah, and I yeah. attended the University of North Texas for my last year and a half and got a finance degree. Now, lo and behold, here's a young man now thinking back that didn't really have a clear plan of what they wanted to do. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I did know that I wanted to help people succeed, right? I wanted to try to make a difference in the world. And oddly enough, I landed in this company called LaCert, where the culture was just incredible. It was a great camaraderie amongst the employees. And the sole purpose at LaCert was really to make life easier for the tax professional. At the time, we were predominantly a tax software provider. So really loved the company and uh, went into it acquired us, which was about three years into my stint at LaCert. These mm-hmm. strange people kept showing up asking all of these business and strategy-related questions And these people were called product managers. And I had never dealt with a product manager, but me and another gentleman uh, were in a group that was the closest thing that we could describe to product management. At the time, we were called marketing support. And our job in marketing support was to go out, speak to customers, not only promote our product, but also learn what their needs were. 
kind of prioritize those needs and hand them to our development team to tell them, hey, here's the things that we should do as we craft our strategy and these are some of the priorities that we should take on. So when these people kept showing up that were called product managers, the gentleman that I worked with at the time, who still works for Intuit, he was actually employee number seven (laughs) at LaCert back in 1980. Wow. He and I went to another gentleman who's one of the shareholders, LaCert shareholders, and said, hey, I think we need to start a product management function. And lo and behold, we started a product management function for our recently acquired business. Yeah. It was really interesting. The, The interesting thing about it, Stuart, is that in all of my gyrations through college, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, who would have thought that I would have been helping develop software for tax and accounting professionals, having to do ROI on investments and prioritization, working with developers. And my background in engineering, accounting, and ultimately my degree in finance all came neatly together into this role that I had never heard of before. But the rest is history. (laughs) I started product management and I've been doing that since. Well, this probably wasn't even a product management concept at college back then. I mean, these days they teach all kinds of stuff, right? But it sounds like you nearly invented product management for accountants. There were some organizations back then, I believe, (laughs) what PDMA, but it was a fairly new field, all things considered, that was still trying to find its way. Yeah. But we took on the challenge. Mm. We did some training and we started shifting and changing really how we prioritized and did our work because before Intuit acquired us, LaCert was predominantly a development-led organization. We were providing input as part of the marketing support team. And we used to laugh sometimes that, you know, you would give somebody, here's the document, and they would just throw it in the trash right in front of your face and say, thank you for the input. It wasn't quite that dramatic, but we would would certainly. (laughs) But just about. Well, tax software back then, and, oh, look, I've got no idea. You tell me. I'm imagining this sort of reproduction of this horrific government document on a green screen. Is that kind of what it was? No, you're not. I think by the mid-90s, it it had evolved a little (laughs) bit beyond that. But, you know, it was still in the age of DOS. And there was the big shift back then to Windows workgroups, Windows 3.1. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and we completely bypassed the 3.1 thing. We said there's no way, (laughs) you know, we saw what was going on with Microsoft and we couldn't have predicted what came out, but we actually paused and we didn't invest in developing Windows software initially, which was really interesting because our our more progressive customers were really pushing for it. But it wasn't until really probably two years later that we developed our first Windows 95 product. So we skipped the whole Windows for Workgroups stage. (laughs) I remember the five, are they five and a quarter inch discs and Oh, so now we're showing our age. Rita's probably never seen it. No, at one disc. point, I believe that uh, in our industry, right, we've delivered CDs and diskettes for so many years. And at one point, oh, yeah. we used to joke yeah. that we were probably the biggest yeah. consumer of, yeah. disc, uh, of floppy disks because nobody else was using them but us. <laughs> but yes, we've definitely evolved and yeah. come a long way since those days. There was a well-known software company who shall rename mm-hmm. Lameless in Australia, MYOB, that had a fatal tax season one year where they basically had to redistribute CDs because there was no real other way. I mean, modems and internet were probably around, but not certainly 
not at the speed that you needed to. Australia's in, intranet probably hasn't <laughs> improved that much since then. I shouldn't bag them too much. <laughs> and this was sort of a cataclysmic event for accountants where they couldn't process tax returns. They couldn't do a lot of their work because bugs in shipping software. Did you have anything as bad as that <laughs> over your time? No, I've heard some some stories of some other companies that had some nightmares that I that I won't really get into because they were they're probably not even appropriate to share. But the um, <laughs> for us, we had a pretty well-oiled machine where yeah, we had yeah. built pretty much all of our internal, most of our mm. duplication was done internally, except for the duplication of CDs. So we would send that off. But we had an entire shipping group that we would handle everything soup to nuts. And partially was to avoid those kinds of problems with vendors or partner. So as long as we got our CDs, yeah. everything else was yeah. smooth sailing. We had the operations internally. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what those shipping people are doing today. Maybe they're smarter than all of us and saw the internet coming. I'm sure they transitioned into something <laughs> or they transitioned into something else. <laughs> That's right. And yeah, so since the acquisition of LeCert, you've been at Intuit ever since that day you must so that's what 22 years now 21 years 20 yeah about 22 since the acquisition 22 23 yeah, yeah. so you must have seen a, a huge amount of change over that period why don't you tell us what's the most obvious sort of aspect of change that comes to mind oh wow there's been several so probably the biggest changes that we've seen it into it usually come whenever we have new leadership when you have a new ceo and i've been so blessed to work for so many just incredibly, incredibly brilliant people from Bill Campbell, who was the GM of our business for a period of time of our yeah. actual ProTax business. Do you have any fantastic Bill Campbell stories? You know, unfortunately, not too much. You know, I wasn't at the level that I got to, uh, you know, rub elbows with yeah. Bill too often back then. Yeah. I have a couple with Scott Cook. Yeah. Scott's yeah. another just, <laughs> is just a phenomenal leader that I would have never thought, who would have thought that this kid from Punta Arenas, Chile, would be, you know, having conversations with a founder of a company that has made such a big impact yeah, yeah. and getting the opportunity to interact with him in, a, in close quarters, because first of all, mm. that's how he is. He's very involved in the business, even to this day. But a lot of the change has just really been driven by either, obviously, leadership styles, where Intuit grew up mm. from being a small company to them becoming a bigger company that needed a lot more mm. rigor, that needed a lot more structure, which was brought on by uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Bennett, who came from GE. So mm. there was a period mm. where where we adopted a lot of the GE methodologies, Six Sigma, process excellence, mm. all the terminology mm. that went with it. Yeah. But that was a huge pivot for Intuit, at least in my mind, especially in hindsight, from being this homegrown, well-run company mm -hmm. to being a much more structured company. So that was one big pivot. And then probably the next biggest one was when Brad Smith took the helm. And the reason that, well, Brad, incredible leader, just an amazing man overall. The shift that came with him had to do with the fact that Intuit had been a desktop company for about 30 years yeah, or 20 plus years at the time. Yeah. And yeah. we obviously saw this was around 2007. We obviously saw the future. Uh, back then we called it the future is social, mobile, global. So we moved to a connected services strategy and that meant a lot more investment in starting to move online. Mm. 
And that lasted for quite some time. And it's the genesis of, even though QBO had been around since early 2000s. That was a purchase too, wasn't it? Back no, no, no. QBO was... No, no, it was homegrown. Yep. I mean, there was ATB back in the 90s. That's... Um, the accountant trials balance solution that one of my previous bosses actually did as well. That was Steve Blundell. Bless his soul. He's it's another phenomenal individual that I had the chance to interact with. But that shift to really moving to more online world mm. has lasted ever yeah. since. And then the latest pivoted into it has really been around not thinking so much about products, but thinking about platform. And that came along with Sasan Ghadarzi, our current CEO. At the end of the day, we all recognize that Intuit has a tremendous amount of assets at its disposal and serves millions of consumers, small businesses, thousands of accountants. And the information that we have at our fingertips, the data, that very sensitive data that we have to protect at all costs, because it is really the lifeblood of our customers as well as the lifeblood of our business, we had to stop thinking about individual products yeah. and we had to start thinking about how do you bring all these things together because they all play together. Yeah. QuickBooks Online, the accountant, yeah. the tax even TurboTax, yeah. yeah. the tax returns <laughs> on the professional side. All of that is a wealth of information that can help us truly make a big difference mm. in people's lives, yeah. right? Improve their finances, improve yeah. their business. Yeah. And that's the shift to platform that we've started about, what is it now, five years ago? Yeah, that's not easy bringing all that to working out which bits are the right bits to bring together and operating and having them those products operate in a harmonious way or in a way that you could consider a platform. So it's hard work, that stuff. It's <laughs> There's a lot of data, a lot of people, a lot of systems and a lot of secure, as you say, a lot of very important to protect that data. Well, like I like to say, uh, Stuart, you're right. It is hard work, but the destination is worthwhile. Yeah. And our journey, we fundamentally believe that we can make people's lives significantly better. Yeah. And I think our data and some of the things that we track mm. show that we're making a difference. And that's what we care about. No, completely. Look, if people can, particularly in the United States with, <laughs> with a credit system that I'm still getting used to after 10 years, nearly it's 10 years in February. If you can get access to finance, easier. If you've got access to assistance in the form of accountants that are more suitable to your needs, it's better. If There are so many reasons that Intuit can be proud of the impact that they've had over the years, and I'm sure we'll continue to do so. It's fun to be from, as you know, from Carbon's perspective, it's fun to be a part of that, and we appreciate that. Well, it absolutely has been an amazing journey for me, both personally and professionally. Absolutely. And it's, <laughs> like you said, it's not necessarily easy, but also recognizing that when you have tough problems ahead of you, you don't have to solve them on your own. Mm, it's a critical mm. element of our entire ecosystem and platform strategy, which requires us to look for those partners, right? Yeah. That where there's a mutual benefit, right? Between what we can deliver to the customer, we call it the win-win-win. If we can benefit into it, if we can benefit the mm. partner and we can deliver for the customer, that's the win-win-win that we're looking for. And there are certainly tons of examples of what we've done there and what we were going to continue to do, but it's not about us doing it by ourselves. You probably already know this, but our, our mission is to power prosperity around the world. Yeah. And yeah. to power prosperity around the world 
it'd be foolish for us to think that we can do it all on our own. And that's why we declare that that we had some very strategic partners at our disposal, which include financial institutions and yeah. the tax and accounting professional amongst others. So yeah. Yeah. it has been truly an amazing journey and transformation. No, completely. Looking forward then, what are some of the let's talk about some of the technology changes or transformations that are occurring. What's El Salvador has just taken Bitcoin as a as a recognized currency. What do you make of crypto and how, let's talk about Bitcoin in particular, perhaps, because it's the, still the most prevalent, but how does that play into, how do you think about it? How does Intuit think about how Bitcoin and perhaps other prominent cryptocurrencies can play a part in the lives of accountants and consumers over the next, say, I don't know, let's look at 10 years. <laughs> so I think those are things that we're continuing to debate internally as well. So mm. what are those opportunities? At the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're solving a big, important customer problem and that we can do that in a way that we can deliver significant benefit to the customer. I would say that today, Bitcoin is no more than now you're going to talk about my personal beliefs versus maybe the, the company. <laughs> That's but, okay. Nobody's going to hold. <laughs> it's all right. Only three people listen to the podcast. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully uh, none of them are heavy into Scott the crypto. One of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, then, then, yeah, then I'm going to be in big trouble. Bitcoin, you can look at it from a couple of angles, Stuart. There are people that are currently investing in Bitcoin. And because they're investing in Bitcoin, they obviously have to deal with the accounting and tax mm. Uh, ramifications that come with it. Mm -hmm. So we will support your Bitcoin trading, right? And we do that through leveraging partners to make it easy for you to do your taxes and account for those transactions. The other side of Bitcoin is really as a currency, as a form of payment. Mm -hmm. How do we think about accepting it within mm -hmm. our solutions? And, mm -hmm. and I would say, you know, that's still being debated. Yeah. But I think the more important uh, element is really the technology that is built upon, the blockchain element, mm -hmm. the security, the promise that that brings. That's where maybe the more immediate interesting opportunities may lie for us. We've had mm -hmm. a couple. We've had a couple of goes at some experiments. Mm -hmm. But I would say today, nothing that I would I would tell you, hey, here's exactly yeah. what we're going to do. It's yeah. still something that we're looking into closely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What about the marketplaces? for the small business and how do you think about where that's going and look at other big marketplaces that exist in in particularly in the b2b world i'm thinking specifically of say the salesforce app exchange zora's marketplace the dynamics microsoft dynamics marketplaces and the intuit marketplace and the southern hemisphere in particular the zero marketplace how do you figure that they influence or drive technology adoption amongst small business? Obviously, we're living in a much more connected world than we ever have before. And, you know, small businesses in particular, they have a myriad of opportunities, right, mm. to get their products out there, to promote their services. You know, one of the large areas of what we're trying to do at the end of the day, it all comes back to being customer back as it relates to some marketplaces, like where you sell your wares. Mm. As an example, mm. the Amazons, the Etsy's of the world. Mm. We have recognized for a long time, well, and even more so lately as a lot of businesses that have to shift their models, right, from brick and mortar, given the pandemic, to mm. more online world. There's a tremendous amount of pain associated with managing your business across these platforms. Yeah. If you want to be your wares, your services to be broadly available, you got to be on Amazon, right? Yep. You have to be yeah, on Etsy. Yeah. 
It's, you have to be on what else, right? Yeah. So one of the things that we're trying to solve is to make it easy for you to play in any yeah. of those spaces. Conduct your distribution. That's right. In, and in the place that you want to be. <laughs> that's right. And without having to manage multiple yeah. distribution yeah. centers, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. So that's a big area of focus for us where we believe we can really help businesses digitize their services and their mm. products in a mm. much simpler way than they can today. And that's obviously a lot of that is more related to product-based businesses than, mm. say, services. But, you know, overall, we too, right, into it is also a marketplace of itself. Yep. Depends on how you define that. Yep. But once again, it goes back to what we try to do is we try to bring the power of Intuit and the connections that we have to actually help the small businesses thrive. So mm. for many years, we have promoted things like our Find a Pro Advisor because it's a way to drive business to the small business owner. We have provided a platform for the small business owner to become better at their job, to really interact with other people like them through the communities that we create. So I would say overall, I think that's a broad question, talking about marketplace in general and B2B. But I would say that we have our fingers in lots of Mm. different places, Mm. all at the end of the day in service to helping the small business owners succeed. As you know, half of them fail within the first three years that they're in business. And we believe that we have not only the software that can help them more efficiently run their business. We also have experts that can help them get the advice and guidance that they need so that they can succeed and they don't run out of cash, cash flow being a huge problem for most businesses. That's why most of them fail. So that they could just focus on what they love, right? They went into business because they had a passion behind something. And we want you to focus on that passion. We don't want you to focus on the accounting or finding business or selling your products. So we try to give the holistic, and that's more on the small business side, of course, but also on the consumer side. On the consumer side, you see what we're trying to do with connecting our personal finance applications, Mint, you have Credit Karma, you have products where you can do work yourself, like TurboTax, We also have products and services like TurboTax Live that allows you to connect to an expert. And then at the end, if you feel like handing your work off and doing it, having somebody do it for you, we have accountants that are more than capable of doing that. So at the end of the day, for us, it's simple. What are the biggest problems that we see across the customers that we serve? And which ones are the ones that we can solve well or with a partner? where we can create substantial benefit. That's a win-win-win, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah. I think the Mint and, and Credit Karma being the predominant acquisitions and sort of, I guess, indicates a likelihood of proliferating the consumer market, both sort of play in that consumer finance area. Where does Intuit's next competition come from? You see the huge rise of buy now, pay later, square of about their acquisition of Afterpay, which has been a phenomenal rise up. I think they're paying 35 billion Aussie or something like that. I mean, that business wasn't around that long, but to get those kinds of valuations, I mean, the the rise of um, buy now, pay later in the pandemic is just amazing timing. It's fantastic business. You've got the rise of things like Coinbase on the crypto side, coming back to that a bit. Where do you see into its business not most under threat. Where do you see the opportunities and, and the well, competitive landscape I'm going to try to give you the politically correct answer to go with it. 
politically correct question. <laughs> I see. This one might be tricky. So first, and I don't want you to misconstrue this comment as we don't care about competitors because we clearly care about people that are out there competing for the same type of customers no, or trying to solve the same yeah. problems. <laughs> At the end of the day, we try to focus more on ourselves, right? We try to focus more on what are the problems that the customers are having. And if we ultimately can solve them better than anyone else, yeah. or yeah. if it's not something that we believe that we should be solving because mm -hmm. it's not a core competency of us, that we can bring in a partner yeah. uh, to solve that problem. And even some of the players that you mentioned, right? Square, they play on our platform, right? We use their payments capabilities and we, we believe in an open ecosystem. And at the end of the day, the mm -hmm. best solution will win. Yeah. It's something that, yeah. once again, I think as a product manager, it's interesting that we mm -hmm. started there, but as a product manager, it's very easy in your early days to focus really, really hard on the competition. And I will tell you that the more you focus on the competition, the less you're focused on the customer. So it's not yeah. that we ignore, we obviously keep a close eye on, on many players out in the space, but at the end of the day, we always wanna come back and say, hey, what's the customer big problem that hasn't been solved that we can solve better with a partner that ultimately delivers the benefits that they want. Microsoft have absolutely nailed the strategy on this actually, you know, because previously, you know, under Obama, they were, we're not going to play on, on, you know, it was basically illegal to bring an iPhone into Seattle, let alone the offices. And they've just turned that around dramatically and made and bought their products to where the consumer is. And Intuit have done a, a fantastic job of that. I've got no idea, but I'm positive that if somebody was using a square register in their shop would integrate pretty nicely into their QuickBooks Online. And Intuit have bought their products to where the consumer is playing, whether it be a colleague of ours, Ian, was working on the Mac products at Intuit a long, long time ago, right? Like Intuit was early on in the Mac revolution. And now it's about integrating to where the consumer is, whether that be Amazon, Etsy, Direct, other channels that they might operate. And for us at Carbon, you know, we've noticed that with how enjoyable it is to work with Intuit. There's a couple of sacred cows, but we haven't run into them yet. And I can see them out in the paddock and we've got plenty of space to play before we have to worry about them. And it's I think that uh, Intuit's success is, has got a lot to do with keeping the customer at the forefront of your considerations. Yeah, I would say that it's probably, no, not probably, it's the number one thing that has made us successful is the focus on customer. and. At the end of the day, if you can't, you know, when we say, or when I say, not we, when I say oh, the best solution will win, well, the best solution is only the one that's given the biggest benefit in solving the biggest problem for the customer. And there's been lots of amazing, highly innovative ideas that have come to market looking for a problem to solve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> have obviously not worked. And, you know, we've learned those lessons ourselves, right? There have been times oh, yeah, when we yeah, have yeah. made decisions to go after places because of what we believe and then only fall short because at the end of the day, we find that the problem that the customer was experiencing wasn't big enough for them to go out there and try yeah. to solve. So now you have a solution yep. that nobody wants to adopt, right? And so I think it requires a couple of those lessons from time to time, hopefully not too often, yep. <laughs> for you to get really just get back and grounded to what really matters yeah. most. But, you know, I think we've Solving been... Solving the biggest pain points, right? Yeah, and we've been pretty good about staying true to that. And that's just the culture that mm. Scott Cook and then every leader that's come ever since is just embedded into every employee at Intuit.
Yeah, I get it. If you're solving the fourth or fifth most important problem, then you're not going to sell very much. <laughs> we, we, we try and stick to the similar mantra. What about where do you see into it in the next sort of 20 years? That's, I mean, that's a big mission for improving the financial capability or capacity or prosperity of the global community. That takes at least another 20 years, right? <laughs> oh, I think it's an ever-going journey, right? You never, <laughs> yeah. when do you get to done? Yeah. The reality is that what I see happening is just a more tightly and tightly connected financial services marketplace, right? That you've seen yeah. it happen in so many industries, right? The travel agents no longer around because you have travel agencies yeah. and the travel sites. I mean, the travel sites that have come online. And we believe that we have a big opportunity to revolutionize financial services and really digitize them as opposed to how they work today for the customers who that's right for. I think there are customers at every stage of a journey. A simple example might be when I was 20 and I was in college and I had a job and I had to do my own taxes, <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to a professional, right? And I didn't need anybody's advice. It was pretty simple, especially if I had a product like TurboTax, right? That would just ask me a few questions. <laughs> I'd say, here's my $10 that I made for the year and file your return. But at one point, right, in your life, you get a job like at LeCert, and you start working it into it, and you continue to progress, and things get a little bit more complicated. Maybe you get married, you have children, you're starting to invest, you're buying a house, and then you get to a stage where you've gotten to a point where now maybe a little bit of help with somebody who's an expert. <laughs> and in some cases, this is the marketplace that I was just talking about, right, the live services, which is if I just have a few questions or if I have a doubt, I can just step into that. Mm. Even though I started the experience doing my own work, I realized that I need some help. The help is readily available. It gets resolved. And then at some point in time, and you could argue that for me, I reached that point years ago, but I continued <laughs> to fight That's it, right. we, uh, Stuart. <laughs> at some point in time, you take, you, you just don't want to deal with it, right? And you just don't want the hassle and you don't need the hassle. These things are complex. This is hard work, right? And you get into situations that uh, you need a professional to look at and just hand the work over. And in our live platform, we can support the full handoff. But of course, you can also go to a, a tax and accounting professional. And we believe that there's a solution that's right for every stage of your life cycle. And we can serve your needs regardless of whether you're the 20-year-old making $0 per year. The slightly more mature individual <laughs> who now has a much more complex situation that you want to hand off to somebody and everything in between. I get it. I mean, the, the world of finance, particularly in North America, I mean, the world of finances gets so much more complex. It's not getting less complex. I mean, government kind of makes sure of that for a start, but also, you know, with the rise of crypto and the increase in regulatory arrangements and you know, marketplace lending. I mean, that there's so many places that Intuit can play and and I guess it's up to people like you and others to determine which are the the areas that make the most sense for you and your customer base and your partner base. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. You know, we could be doing a thousand things, Stuart, but you have yeah, to prioritize. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have unlimited resource. Not uh, every... It feels like it's someday from where I sit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're... Well, never mind. I won't go there too much, but I, I understand where you're coming from because I feel that same... I feel that same pain and teams... It's interesting running an entire product management organization and a design team. Yeah. Reality is that you always have to focus. So even within our yeah. business unit, right? You where are you yeah, putting yeah. most of your investment? And everybody that's working on the other things that are important, 
but not as important, are having the same pain that you just articulated, right? It's like, I, yeah. I need more resource. <laughs> of course you do, but you yeah. got to focus yeah. and you got to yeah. prioritize. One plus N is the right number of product managers and designers, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could do with more developers. That's what I, you know. I, I, yeah, yeah, okay. We're having that interesting we discussion. I'm not an empire builder, so I'm not trying to grow my team <laughs> to be 50 uh, product managers. And uh, the funny thing is, you know, we were having a conversation about the fact that I wanted a couple more product managers uh, within our senior leadership team. And I, and I was laying yeah, out the case yeah. for why we needed them. But I ended my case with, oh, and by the way, if you don't approve the additional developers that we need, I don't need the product managers. Because <laughs> my product yeah. managers are great. They can do a lot of investigation and uncovery or yeah. discovery and yeah. strategy. Yeah. I need developers. If nobody's there to build it. That's right. <laughs> I need developers. So yeah, my product development partner, uh, I think he likes me a lot when I say yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, he's, he's, you're holding up his budget <laughs> for him or her. <laughs> well, let's bring it back to where we started. And it looks like Texas A&M are off to a fantastic start to the season. Oh, yeah. they were, Is that they true? Had, they beat, they oh, beat Kent State 41-10. Is that what happened? Stuart, you and I could put a team together and give Kent State a run for their money. So it was, oh, uh, is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> so it's what we like to call the early season warm-up. Yeah, it's a softball to begin uh, with, is it? Very <laughs> much so. This year it was, for sure. Uh, nothing, hopefully, of your three listeners. Nobody went to Kent State. <laughs> no, but um, I, I'd never heard of Kent State before. I just Googled how Texas A&M would go. And so, so there you go. I mean, that, although I haven't heard of a lot of these. Well, now you know. What about, but uh, now you know why they play Texas A&M. See, now you know who they are, at least. That's right. <laughs> and, and so give us the preview of this Saturday's game against uh, the Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, should be a game. Well, it should be a game we should win. It's a very winnable game for us. If we lose or we struggle, we'll see. That would be pretty painful. It's, it's tight. There you go. There's the factor, the altitude factor. There is the altitude factor. Hey, listen, and Colorado's no cupcake, right? They always put out, yeah, they have yeah. good athletes. They put out, they have a good program. They have a good team. They're not at the same level that a lot of the schools in our conference are in. It should be a much better test. How's that? There you go. An improvement on the warm-up to the warm-up. How's that? <laughs> well, Jorge, it's been fantastic having you on the Accounting Leaders podcast. I really appreciate both, firstly, your time today, but also, you know, the relationship and, and the partnership that Carbon, on behalf of all of us here at Carbon, we enjoy immensely working with you and your team. And it's a partnership that we're nearly two years in and has been going very well. And I, I look forward to the next 22 years because, you know, that we've got great things in common and our values are aligned in, in servicing the pain points of the customer at the forefront of our mind. And uh, we really appreciate everything that you and Intuit have done for us. And we look forward to continuing that arrangement and servicing the customers that we serve best, uh, the accountants in North America, but also around the world. Well, and, you know, I said it at the beginning, but I really appreciate you having me on. And I would be remiss if I didn't speak a little bit more about carbon. Is it okay <laughs> if I can? Oh, you, you, you may. You I know may. you're not, you know, just to be clear, <laughs> there's no uh, slipping a $20 bill across the Zoom no, or the no. video here across or anything. The, that's right. <laughs> Going back to what we were talking about earlier, at the end of the day, we know that the tax and accounting professional who's serving hundreds of clients has an incredibly difficult job on their hands, not only mm -hmm. serving their needs, protecting their data, making sure that they're compliance, advising their clients, but also managing all that goes into doing that work. For years in our business division, we had had a couple of fits and starts at what we call practice management, right, ultimately. Yep. Yep. 
And maybe had we been a little bit more bullish and stuck to our decisions, we could have continued to make the investments that that we were making to get us there. But ultimately, we made those decisions not to continue down that path on a couple of occasions over the last 20 years. But the need of the customer never went away. The fact that they couldn't let anything slip through the cracks because the ramifications of doing so would be uh, highly disruptive to the client, uh, probably lead to the loss of that client for the tax and accounting firm. And there's just an incredible amount of inefficiency that exists inside tax and accounting firms that are trying to serve a high volume of clients. And, you know, we finally said, hey, listen, we've had our goes at it. We still believe we have some solutions that work well for certain types of firms, like our QuickBooks Online Accountant that can serve as a good practice management tool for a set of customers. But at the same time, I mentioned earlier that we also believe in an open platform. And it just, the reality was that the needs of our larger customers, those larger firms, those larger, what we call multi-service firms, were beyond the capabilities of the offering that we had in the market. And while we're continuing to invest in that space and practice management ourselves, and you know that, and you and I have had many of those conversations, we said, listen, the problem is here. It's real. We've been putting it off too long. Okay, let's go do something about it to solve it today, not solve it three years from now or solve it two years from now. Let's solve it today. And that's when we started doing our evaluation of all the players out there who might be good fit. Mm -hmm. And as you Mm -hmm. obviously know, Carbon ended up coming up at the top of our evaluation for a variety of reasons. The integration that you already had into our platform in QuickBooks, Mm. the focus that you had on delivering simple experiences, the fact that you're on a journey from making things more efficient to automating work, your UI, right? Your technology stack, all of these different things that we evaluated and, and the customer ratings that went along with it, by the way, that played a huge role. If you didn't know that your star rating actually meant a ton, <laughs> it meant a ton. And yeah, ultimately yeah. we said, listen, here's an opportunity and it's the win-win-win. We can solve a big customer problem. We can drive business growth for us and business growth for carbon. At the end of the day, if you're delivering benefit, I fundamentally believe that if you're delivering something of value, then you should have the right to monetize it and not feel bad about it. At the end of the day, I'm making your life easier. And, you know, we found that partnership with Carbon and it didn't take long when we started interacting with you and Ian to realize some of the things that you said, Stuart. We have common goals at the end of the day. We have our value system and our culture is very much about the customer and and it was just, uh, it seemed like a really good match. We've seen some early success, which has been great. And I just see it only getting better going forward. So it's been truly, it's been awesome just working with you and your team. I love the interactions. You know, I love when we do our monthly reviews and you see the energy coming from all the people and the work that's being done and the problems (laughs) that are being solved. It's just exciting. It's been a really good couple of years. So I thank you for that as well. No, no. Likewise, Jorge, we're just thrilled to be working with such a great team. And uh, hopefully, ultimately, the thousands and then soon enough, tens of thousands of customers will benefit from our joint practice management solution. And ultimately... As you pointed out, running a service business is not that easy. (laughs) It's delivering high value, high quality work at a price that we would encourage demonstrates considerable value. (laughs) We don't encourage our customers to race to the end of the, to the bottom of the barrel, but regardless of, irrespective of any of that, you know, delivering value 
what I'm trying to say is when I talk to customers on this podcast, when I talk to clients on this podcast, they, the reason that they are accountants is because they love helping customers. They just love seeing their customers who become friends become successful. That's why they do it. And we still get a big kick out of helping people help others. And we're not very good at building fire engines. So we have to build practice management software. <laughs> and so ultimately that's what we're into it's in it for. And that's what we're in it for. And to be honest, let's not beat around the that bush though. You know, if Intuit had of built this amazing practice management solution, we probably would have gone and, you know, done something else. We would have let that sleeping dog just slide exactly where it was. And when we started seven years ago now, our goal was to, we believed that the customer, the, the accountant was underserved by, uh, we can mention them, who cares, the CCHs and the Thompsons of the world. And I think that that is still true. You know, like you look at their desktop software and what they've sort of tried to produce online, they're no longer in really in the software business. They're just in the maintenance and contract business. And so that creates opportunity. And together, we can go conquer the world. That's what I want to do. Anyway. Well, I can't say that for legal reasons. That we never conquer, can't yeah, dominate not, any market or conquer any world. I, well, once again, I fundamentally believe that the needs differ enough that there's room for multiple players. And, you know, you can choose to use CCH solution. I have no problem with that. I would rather use an Intuit solution, obviously. Yep. But I think it's, uh, you know, the right product for the right customer. Their needs differ and there's yep. room for more than one of us to exist, room, right? So room for plenty, but we're doing good work together, Jorge. Let's. I appreciate it. <laughs> I certainly hope that yes, that we will keep doing it for a long time, and it's getting better. I'm excited by what's coming this fall. By the way, it is. Well, thank you, Stuart. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. We will do that in another podcast. Jorge, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Good luck in Colorado this weekend. We'll come out victorious, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.